Can you start with a nice word of Parshas Chayesura? A word from Chedesh Arim. A very bekanta medrash. Right, right in the beginning of the parsha. Vayi Chayesura. Maya Shunem Vesem Shunem Vesheva Shunem. So Chazal tells a story. Hey, it's a good story to remember. When you hear a story, you wake up. Right? Adam Agachiu used to say, "Okay, the Gemara is bringing a story. Everyone wake up." There's a story about waking up Talmidim. Rebekiva Yosef Adoyish Chilas Namnam. Rebekiva was Darshni, and the Talmidim started to fall asleep. Bikesh Loyderon. Omar, yeah, he wanted to wake them up. Omar, Mar Ruasa Esther Lim Lechalkich of Zayim Medina. What? How did Esther? How was Esther Zoyche to be Moilech on 127 Medinas? Tuvay Basbita Shalsura Shachoisach Kif Kif Chov Zayim Shunem Betimlech Al Kif Chov Zayim Medinas. He says, he says that um, that um, Suri Maini lived 127 years, and there were years the way they were supposed to be. Like Rashi tells us, and that's why Esther Malka was then zoyich to to be moilech as a as a Malka on so many on so many medinas. So he says, what does that do? Waking people up? What he just, just want to say a nice story? You know, he said a nice uh, a nice uh, thought how Esther was or something. He says when you think about it, if the schist that Suri Maini lived 127 years. Esther Amalka was Malka over 127 Medinas. So when you split that up, you know, Medina is a big thing, right? Medina is a country, right? She so said it comes out that you know for every year she had a Medina, which means that for every week she had like a city, right? Because in Medina you have 50 cities. She means that for every day she had like a village or a town. So when you think about it, for every day the Suri Maini, and, and and then for every for every uh, what do you say for um, for every hour a little village. I think about it, for every hour that Suri Imani was living life to the fullest, she was constantly conquering more and more Medina, so to speak, more and more villages and towns and cities and provinces and, 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 and countries that Esther Malka should, be, should have all that in that schist. When you think about it like that, it says that when a person thinks about this, he doesn't want to sleep. When you realize how much kechaparan, how much, how much every little hour really makes a difference, and how much we keep on adding to someone's chesh, even though we don't always see it in this world, like, like Esther Malka was able to, but... When you look at it like that, you don't want to waste any time in this world. And that's why the Talmud and Wawa, they woke up and they wanted to utilize the time correctly. So that's a, a wonderful lesson in, in just being a little more better with time management and using time correctly, because time is obviously the greatest of Matun, it's no shayach, right? That's why I say you steal someone's sleep. It's the worst night because you can't give it back, right? You're stealing time, you can't give back time. There's nothing you can do with, with giving back time. Now, when it comes to Chinuch Habuna, there's a, an interesting story. I think it's a famous story about Shlema Haiman. Could be able to say about different Tarshivas, Shiva Tervadas. He once came in a blizzard, a big snowstorm to say a shear, and only three Tamidim showed up. Right? I don't need to give such a big shear over here. And only three today is a different story because people go out online, so you, you know, you're definitely talking to a bigger audience than you think. But Shlema Haiman was saying a shear for three Tamidim. And he was getting all into it, and he was saying the Shia Mamash like he was saying every day a Shia, as if he was talking to a huge crowd. And one of the Bachram asked him after the Shia, and then the Rabbi, you know, what, what, what happened over here? The Shia said, the three boys, you know, you're talking, learning a little bit, but nobody showed up. Why did you get all excited? He said, I'm not only talking to you, I'm talking to you, and to your Talmidim, and your Talmidim's Talmidim. And when you think about the ripple effect that it has, that's something that I'm, I'm, I'm really addressing a much bigger crowd than that. Okay, so that's a beautiful thought. And when it comes to Chena I think that these two thoughts come together. When, when we're being mechanic children, sometimes, you know, okay, you put things on the back burner, kids grow up, they're doing their own thing, you know, relatively, your life's cruising along sometimes, and it looks like, you know, nothing's so important, everything's fine, Baruch Hashem. And you don't realize sometimes how the little investments when it comes to chinach, whether it's a small lesson you teach a child, or it's a small uh, show of affection that you show a child, a show amount of care, or a compliment, or just some quality time, you don't know the ripple effect of every little thing. And we take it for granted, and, and you know, we're not trying to become OCD and anxious about, oh, what did I say, what didn't I say? But yeah, the little things definitely 
definitely make uh, add up to a, to a big amount. You know, when you fly halal, they tell you they're collecting for what is it, what do they call it? Kasef katangadol. A small amount of change makes a big difference in the life of a child, right? That's their their motto. They collect. For, I don't know who. When you think about it, that's what it is. A, a small change, not only change, you know, quarters and dimes. It's a small change. Sometimes it's a quarter. Sometimes you give your son a quarter, and it means something to him. Small change can make a big difference in the life of a child. When you think about it like that, so it's not only now. It's not only the small thing you're investing now. It's an investment for a child's life. You know what little, what little um, encouragement or, or courage that you give a child really has a bigger effect. And then the doyers that he's going to have and his children, his anuklich, it definitely makes every little investment the chenachaburim worthwhile. And you know these are idealistic ideas that we have to keep on thinking about and chazering. And every once in a while, it definitely gets us to put in a little more effort to chenachaburim. So that's definitely something that's. Um, very important to, to remember. So I'm read a question that somebody sent over here. Like I always say, the questions are sent in a while back, but you know, everyone's always invited to send in more. Try to get to them, Mr. Shem. Somebody sent me a question this past week, and I and I wrote back that in Mr. Shem, I'll address it in the shir. So the, the, I right away get an email back. Okay, when's the next shir? I wish I could get the questions as fast as they come in. But the question goes like this: My 12 year old, my my 12 year old oldest daughter is very sensitive, extremely sensitive. Whenever I want to discuss an issue, she becomes defensive and aggressive, even if I approach her in a calm time. She's also verbally and physically aggressive with her brothers whenever something is not the way she feels is right, and she feels like I'm always on her brother's side. How do I react to this? I'm really working on seeing her qualities and loving her unconditionally, but it's very challenging when she's so aggressive. Thank you for your amazing lectures. Okay, you're welcome, and thank you. And basically, this is something that we probably discussed numerous times, and that's what happens, you know, we keep on going through the topics again and again, but the idea of a very sensitive, almost teenager, okay, a 12-year-old, almost teenager, very sensitive child, almost teenager. So, the question over here is, how do I react to this, and how do I uh, point things out there if she's always getting defensive and aggressive? So, let's, let's put it like this, you know, in regard to pointing something out, a very sensitive approach is always to ask someone, is it okay if I point something out to you? Okay, when you point something out to someone unexpectedly, and we spoke about this once, how some people that are sensitive also have an issue with transitioning or being surprised by something they weren't ready for. So when you ask someone, why do you do that, why do you do this, and they weren't ready for it, it definitely awakens a certain amount of defensiveness. As opposed to when you ask someone, do you mind if I point something out to you? It, a lot of times it definitely takes the edge off of pointing something out that, that could have been taken the wrong way. And if you preface it even more by saying, you mind if I point something out to you, it could be made a mistake, I'm sure you didn't mean it, but even though the word but is a killer, but saying that you're not coming with criticism, you're just pointing something out, definitely makes it easier. Uh, another thing is that when you just point something out, and, as opposed to criticize, so even if somebody doesn't like it, and even if they get defensive and answer back, you don't have to take it to the next level. All I did was point it out. In other words, I just want to point out, you might not have noticed, but you know, this, this happened, and he said something, and you fought with him. It, it really hurt his feelings. Well, he deserved it. Okay. That okay doesn't mean that it's okay what you did. Okay means that I'm finished with what I had to say. As opposed to, you bad girl, why'd you do it? And you give an answer, I did it because he did it. Well, if you stay stuck over there, then you basically uh, lost the debate, I should call it. Right? So that's um, definitely something that it's very important to say something at the right time. Right? Not the wrong moment. Sometimes it has to be said on the spot. Sometimes it could wait. And when you do say it and you preface it with such kind of comments, it definitely makes it easier. And like I said, don't get stuck on it. So often parents have this problem with getting stuck on being right. Everyone, there's a, a motto that a lot of my clients must have heard from me a thousand times. Everyone knows everything. Your daughter's not an idiot. She knows that she's fighting often. As much as she tells you everyone else is fighting and you're always picking on her, she knows she's fighting often. She knows you're not happy with her. You don't have to say it and say it and say it and say it until she says, now I get it. 
She knows it. You say it once, and you move on, and that's definitely something that's um, that's something that, that that could be doing. You know, um, it could make it easier for someone when you just say it and move on. Now, more importantly, I, I, I was just trying to answer the question: How do I point something out? She doesn't let me pointing it out. She's always getting defensive. But I think what's more important is to know when not to say. And this is tricky because a lot of times you have a child like this who's very challenging and very deserving of criticism and very often disturbing and very often, you know, and, and you don't even, you know, you're basically stuck with so many opportunities to criticize and so little opportunities to praise and to compliment. I know. I, I know. I, t- I tell parents, I'm, I'm not criticizing you for criticizing. I understand that there's very little to, to compliment and there's very much to criticize. But that's just more reason why I have to realize that it might not be a straight idea. Very often, sensitive children, for those of you who know my color distinctions but you know, read my book, sensitive children are very often sensitive psychologically as well, and they have very low tolerance to anything that's not clear, and they become very black and white. Now, what happens when somebody becomes black and white is called a splitting perception. They see things in terms of black or white, very good or very bad. What happens is now, when you criticize such a child once, twice, three times, to them you're always criticizing. So even though to you, you, you tried keeping your mouth shut four out of six times, but you're criticizing me often enough for me to think that that's always. Now, sometimes people say, well, I also, I also complimented three times, why doesn't that become all white instead of all black? Well, that's a very good question, but that's not how it works. When people are black and white, it means that they have low tolerance, which means that if there's a small amount of discomfort, even if there's a lot of comfort, they'll be describing that situation or that feeling as terrible. Now, it doesn't mean that you can never criticize a child, but it does mean that you want, to, you want to have a good ratio of a lot of compliments, a lot of good feeling, versus a little amount of critique, because in this child's mind, even a little bit could be very disturbing. So, you know, it's not enough to have 50-50 with such a kid, you want to really balance it out. Now, it's not easy. It's not easy. I'm telling you it's not easy, especially with a child that's so challenging, but that's all the more reason why you just see I tell people all the time, based on your question, I see it's not working, right? So let's try something else. <laughs> we, we have to come up with a way to make these kids feel good. Sensitive children are so dependent on how they feel. Everything revolves around how they feel. And you want to make a child like that feel good. Now, I don't mean to nitpick on the wording of the question. I'm just, I want to point something out, which I could be picking up on something. I could be not. It's irrelevant. I just want to discuss the idea. So nobody should take anything personal. I'm really working on seeing her qualities and loving her unconditionally. Now, very often we talk about ideas... Um, that a nice idea. I hate people talking in parenting about seeing a child's qualities. See the good. Notice the good. Um, look for the good. See the child in the good light. Think to yourself about all the good of the child. And then again, loving unconditionally. Beautiful. I, I love her so much. I, I love her no matter what she is, no matter what she's like. Very often people do this as a shtickle tactic or as a shtickle, uh, what's the word? Uh, it's a, to, to get to more love, to get to better feelings, to get to certain places. They don't realize that it's all internal. In other words, you could be looking at someone very positively, seeing all their good, thinking about loving them unconditionally, trying to build up that feeling, but they never heard it. Now, I have no reason to assume that this questioner didn't, didn't try to express it, but it doesn't say that she did, so I'm just mentioning it. But it's so important to verbalize what you're feeling and what you're seeing. So when you do love someone unconditionally and you say it here and there, right, you mention it, or you see someone's qualities and you talk about it, you make a big deal about them, that's something much more effective than just thinking to yourself and hoping that the visualization and the, you know, the energy, the positive energy will do the job. Okay, so if this positive energy definitely does a lot. It does a lot when you, think, when you think nicely about somebody. But if you're giving criticism and thinking nicely about them, then you can be sure that what's being heard and seen is definitely going to do a lot more than, um, than just thinking about it in your head. So here's, here's the thing. You want to catch a child, any child, especially such a child, on anything you could that's good. 
and you want to overlook anything you could, that's not good. And again, there's not always, not every child needs such an approach, but I'm talking about children who you see that you know, they're, so, they're so sensitive and they're so, there's such an aversion to criticism or anything like that, that yeah, you want to catch them on a lot of, lot of good behavior. Anything small, anything given. I see this all the time. You know, a child is misbehaving, and then you know, here and there they're behaving, obviously. By, by mistake they're behaving. But they don't get complimented for behaving because that's not normal. As a matter of fact, it's so not normal that it's so infrequent. But when you catch someone on normal behavior, and you make a big deal about it, not in a cynical way, obviously, but in a healthy way, you know, I noticed that you did this miss nicely. I noticed that your brother liked sitting near you and, and, watch, and, and reading along with you and that you were so nice about it. She didn't realize she did anything. She didn't realize her brother was looking at the book. But she got a compliment for it. And you start slowly seeing the qualities and mentioning them to someone. That, that does something for someone. It's not a question. Now, it might take a while. A while, I mean to say that it could take, it happens over time that things get better. It should start working right away. But it happens over time that, that it really makes a big difference. But this is something that really does make a big difference. Yeah, I was saying a small, a small, a small amount of change makes, uh, makes a, a small change, makes a big uh, change in the child. It's a small little thing, it's a small, small little expressions of affection and appreciation and compliments that really make a big deal. They really make a big difference. And they add up. So when someone does something not good and you say, oh, I just wanted to point out I'm sure you didn't mean it, and you don't make a big deal about it. You don't get stuck on it. But when somebody does something good, you say it once and twice, and you say it in a good way, they don't like taking compliments, you say it in a clever way, you know, your brother liked it, this one, or you repeat it to Tati about the girl instead of saying it to her. We spoke about this in the past, how to say indirect compliments for someone who does not handle the direct ones. When you do that a lot, it's definitely going you know, to slowly balance out. Slowly. Now, let me, let me just bring up another point, and this is especially important as kids get older, but not old enough, okay? Very often, a tati and mommy don't have a lot of use of a 12-year-old. Or at least not nearly as much as they would have wanted to. She's only 12. Halavai, she would be doing what she could be doing, but she's not. And, and you know, what, what could I really, what could I, what could I use her for? And that's a question I ask parents, of, where could you use this child? Where could this child feel good? This child is going, fighting with this one, getting into fights with that one, barely doing chores, this and that, maybe not even doing great in school. How good should a child feel, especially a sensitive child who needs so much more emotional comfort to like just be stable? Where could you use this child? What could you ask of this child? Not in a chore way, like I want, I want I do this, do that. It would mean so much to me if you do, if you bake a cake, if you make a kegel, if you watch your brother, if you pick nice flowers for Shabbos, because this you do very well. I love when you do it. You don't have to. It would mean so much to me if you do, and you make a child feel like they're useful and needed. That does wonders to children. That does wonders to children. Now, some children don't have to feel needed. Some children are needed. Some children just get the chanayit on their own. But there are some children that they, they don't feel good. They just don't feel good about themselves. And that's why they're getting all defensive and aggressive and, and, and into problems. So using a child is something that sometimes we overlook because where I want to use him, he's not available. So he wants to be used over here. I'm not interested. Be interested. Be interested and use him in a way that he'll feel good about himself. Now, especially a child that's oldest, as in this case, I, I see this often, right? there's this whole Makas Bechoyer's theory about the, the oldest being the most problematic because we learn, the, we learn on them, but it's, it, you know, it's probably, probably not true. And again, obviously there are situations where it is true, but it's, like, it's, it's generalizing, and I don't see it to be that way. But when it is true, and there's a Makas Bechoyer's syndrome, you have an oldest kid, it's much easier to use the oldest than the youngest, or a third. Right, the oldest. You give, there's so much attention you could give a kid and say, you know, you're the oldest. I trust you. You're the oldest. I'll let you do this. Well, you're the oldest. You're the only one that knows how, because they're the oldest. You're not, you're not taking away from anyone else when you're, when you're saying it to an oldest. So that's also something that you could definitely, 
if you, you give someone the opportunity to, to you know to feel good and, and, and show them that you need them, that's definitely something. And by the way, just as a as a, a, a side point of being needed and used, keeping someone busy, keeping someone busy, it's, 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 it does wonders to people, right? How many times kids walk in circles? They don't know what to do, and when you don't know what to do, when you're looking for what to do, when you walk into someone and they start screaming, and you know now you have what to do. Keep kids busy. When kids are busy, they feel good. And this is a skill of gedolah. Just this week, I was talking to a man about his own issues, his own struggles in life, with his own challenges, and he was talking about different times in his life when things were easier, things were harder. And he wasn't able to explain why it was like that, but he was just referring to a point of reference. You know, two years ago, this was easier, and then this became harder again. And different challenges that he was... Uh, personal challenges, let's call it. Um, and then just doing the math and looking back and trying to learn, because some people don't learn. They just they just keep you know, making the same mistakes again and again. Right? And look, the nar, we start. We said, the chucham learns the chafianim's binder. Right? The smart one learns from the other person's mistake. The regular guy learns on his own mistakes, and the, the tippish never learns. Okay? A smart person is someone who learns from his own experiences. You don't keep on making the same mistake again and again. Sometimes you hear people talk about situations. You hear about chinech from bias all the time. And I, I, I must have mentioned this many times. Sometimes people won't, won't want to accept that a situation could be helped because they're struggling with it for so long already. As if a problem that's going on for a long time can't be helped. I, I've heard this from people. You're going to tell me, I'm dealing with this for 20 years already. Dealing with a problem 20 years unsuccessfully is not experience. It means that you either didn't learn from experience or you just, Hashem didn't send you yet to the right, to the right help. But very often, you could just be reviewing and repeating a mistake again and again without realizing what a mistake it is. So you're saying the same thing and dealing with the same situation for 20 years. So the problem didn't become bigger. It just became a problem that nobody was solving. Anyway, so this guy was telling me about different times that he was, that it was easier for him, certain challenges. I said, let's do the math. What was then that wasn't now? Like when you look back, you see it was easier. Why was it easier? I don't know. I just remember that it was. Let's think a minute. Let's try to write it down. When was it? Yeah, now he realizes that it was a certain time where in his career that he was much busier, much more occupied, feeling much more fulfilled. <laughs> oh, well, it's a no-brainer. Well, now that we know what was very helpful in the past, we could try to make sure that you feel busy and fulfilled and productive. And that will definitely be a big help instead of just focusing on the challenge that you're dealing with, which sometimes is much harder to, to control when you, when you don't have what to do. So getting back to our kids over here, very often you see this with children now, they don't know what to do. And they're becoming problematic. So aside from the benefit of having someone feel needed and used and special when you ask them to do things, even if you can't do it that way, but just coming up with something that they could do, finding them something to do and sometimes, you know, so often you hear this kids complain I don't know what to do find what to do well he's trying well he's not even trying but sometimes if you find them what to do it's worth it it's worth the extra project it's worth the extra creativity and the extra few dollars to keep a kid busy because keeping someone busy keeps them out of problems and makes them feel good and then you always have a reason to praise him and compliment him for what he just accomplished well, no matter what it was so that's also uh, very important now, let's go back a minute after making a kid feel really good, okay? So now you, you do have to criticize here and there. So like we said, you want to say, you want to point something out, you sure you didn't mean it. Sometimes, even when it comes to criticizing, you can actually make a child feel good. And I remember I read this Isa once from Avrum Ganachowski from Chabina, Chabina Rashiva, and it's so, it's so intelligent. And I, I just want to explain it well so it doesn't come across wrong. Sometimes when you want to criticize someone, you start off with a compliment, and then you give the criticism. Now, some people think that means that we're always like, like mixing criticism with compliments and then it all becomes one. No. When you compliment someone, you compliment them. Okay? When you are going to criticize, and it's not time for a compliment, which you already gave a few times today, you still start off with a compliment. It doesn't mean that every compliment should end off with a but. That, that's certainly not a way to do things. But a kid didn't do something good. There's a way to say, you know, I think you really did try hard. It was very good. 
next time if we could do it this way, that would be great. Now, you, you, you clearly criticize him. Clearly. But sometimes with Chachm and creativity, you can come up with a way to make it sound like, like it wasn't bad. Or I know you tried. And even when you know a child didn't. But you camouflage in that criticism again in a good word. And you're showing that for this time it wasn't terrible, but next time, let's work on it. It, it does so much to make it easier to accept that next time I think I really should do things better. It was said in such a nice way, and it wasn't challenging, and it wasn't with a taina, and, and anything like that. So that's also something that... So let's remember something over here. Now, let's just go back to the general thing over here. Dealing with a 12-year-old is very sensitive. The amount of love, and the amount of good word, and encouragement, and praise, and appreciation, and compliments that you give to a child is going to do way more than anything you're going to criticize. So it's important to know how to criticize, it's important to be able to criticize, it's important to be able to punish and make rules and regulations and guidelines and boundaries. In the big picture, like we started off talking about, you know, how it affects the ripple effect of chinach, it's not a question that anything you can invest in the child in terms of positive energy that you're expressing in a healthy way will do much more for the child. So whenever you're thinking about in terms of a te'elis for the child, like what do I do? I want to help him. I'm sure, this que- I'm sure the question was written with very good intentions. I want to help my child. What do I do? What you do, you invest as much as you could and as much positive energy as you could. And then when you have to, you definitely deal with the other things as well. But we don't realize sometimes how with such children, 90% of our interaction with them is about negativity. And well-deserved. But we don't realize sometimes how it's always over something they didn't do or should have done or whatever or why you do without realizing that you know, there's really so much more to this child and so much more that will be effective. So I think that's definitely... And I'll just say one more thing. I start off with, with saying that it's almost a teenager. Okay, teenage years, whether it's girls or boys, are challenging years. Not a question. Not a question. The, the kid is enjoying himself. The adult has what to do. And then there's the years in the middle when life is just, you know, for some people going the right way, for some people it's just very challenging. Okay, and you know, I, I heard from Dr. Lieberman, my good friend, Dr. David Lieberman, said something. He, I don't know who he was quoting, that if you would treat kids like adults and adults like kids, we would have great relationships. And there's a lot of truth to that. Okay? Sometimes we treat kids like babies and they want to be treated like adults and be taken seriously. Okay? Sometimes we treat adults like adults that are responsible and we, have, and we get upset at them. Like, why did you say this? You shouldn't have said that. Well, what do you mean? Why, you, need a, you need a thank you? You need I'm sorry? Yeah, treat an adult like a child and you'll have good relationships. When it comes to teenagers, that's where you get stuck. You, you're dealing with a child and an adult at once. The child part of him, you're treating like an adult. The adult part of him, you're treating like a child. And he's still mixed up. He's transitioning. Okay? So now you have a child who needs to be treated like an adult, an adult who needs to be treated like a child, and sometimes you're treating the child like a child, and an adult like an adult, and it's not working. So that's something to think about. Teenage years is when you want to treat the child, you see a kid acting ridiculous and stupid and babyish, and you want to make them feel really good and take them seriously and talk to them in a nice way that they weren't expecting. And then when they do you know, show a certain maturity responsibility and you think that now you could tell them the way it is, no, no, no. Now still talk to them the way you would talk to a child with a certain amount of sensitivity and care, and that's definitely something that will help us see from all our children at all ages and all stages. <laughs>